Okay, let's go ahead and take our seats and our Bibles. Turn to James chapter 4. James 4. James. James 4. Okay, so we're, uh, we're going to finish up James 4 this morning. We'll start with verse 13, go through verse 17. Um, let me read those, and then I'll uh, ask you um, what the book of James is about, all right? Since we've been in it for a couple months. James 4.13, Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there, engage in business, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So before we look at this passage, um, if someone was to ask you uh, what's in the book of James, uh, what, what kind of uh, answer would you give? What's James all about? Well, I'll tell you, okay. <laughs> kind of the theme verse for the book of James is to be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. James is all about living out our faith in Jesus Christ and our Christian walk in a way that is not just words that we say, but it, it's in actions that we do. And so, uh, as we went through the book of James, um, James 2 talked about uh, not just saying you have faith, but showing me your faith. James chapter 3 talked about the power of our speech for either good or evil. James chapter 4 was kind of introducing the idea of the cause of conflicts and uh, wars, if you will, between believers in the church. And so James is really all about encouraging us as believers to live out our faith in a practical, demonstrable way so that people can see it and not just hear about it. And um, when we come to James chapter 4, starting in verse uh, 13, we'll, we'll see that um, what's behind these verses that I just read, the key is in verse 16, James 4.16. 4.16 says this, But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So just from taking that verse as kind of the uh, foundation for the other verses in this, uh, who's he speaking to? Who can we kind of assume that James is addressing this to in particular? Christians who are arrogant. I don't know what the, what is arrogance? Thinking highly of yourself. It's pride another word for pride and uh, so James actually talked about this arrogance in previous verses as well if you look back in chapter 3 
verse um, 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This idea of arrogance, pride, is what's behind the verses that we're going to talk about this morning. One of the things about arrogance is that it is a characteristic of the world, of the flesh, pride. Um, it's, easy, it's often easy to see pride in other people. It's not always so easy to recognize it in ourselves. And pride comes in different forms, and, and we'll look at one of those today. I want to read 1 John 2, 6, 15 and 16. It just says this, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. In James 4, 6, the Lord says that it says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so pride is one of those sins that is, um, it's an inner thing. It's, it's a way you think about yourself in regard to others. And pride is one of, well, Pride is one of the sins of which it is specific, uh, explicitly said that it is a sin that God hates. It is the sin that led to the fall of Satan in Isaiah 14 and in Ezekiel 28. Pride. So, in James 4.13, we're going to read about um, James speaking to those whose plans are motivated by pride and arrogance. And again, in verse 16, he concludes it by saying, As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. And verse 13 is the boast that he's speaking about. Here it is. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, We'll spend a year there, we'll engage in business, and we'll make a profit. Now on the surface, this looks like basically just a simple business plan. Uh, James gives us the clue in verse 16. It's motivated by arrogance. And so we want to look at this a little closer. And so we'll do that right now in verse 13. Come now, you who say. All right, so that's who, that's who he's dress, addressing. And in that verse 13, when it says, you who say, I'll just give you a little kind of a, a under, behind the surface background to this word. It's a word that's written in a tense that Greek calls present tense, which means it's a continuous action. He's speaking to people who say this kind of thing all the time. All of us have made plans like this, have, have we not? We do it all the time. But there's a group of people here to whom James is addressing in the church that are always talking like this about what they're going to do and what they're going to accomplish. The other thing I want us to see in this verse, verse 13, is 
the certainty with which they make their statements. Okay, let me read it again. Come now, you who say, today and tomorrow we will. All right? So every one of the verbs following from here are to be um, pre they're, they're future verbs about what's going to happen. We will go to a particular city. We will spend a year there. We will engage in profit, excuse me, engage in business, and we will make a profit. It's just a simple plan. Really, apart from what the clue we have in verse 16, we wouldn't regard this as anything um, out of the ordinary. But I want you to see how specific this boast is in verse 13. Notice, we will go. So we're talking about the who there. When? Today or tomorrow. Where? We're going to go to a particular city. What are we going to do? We're going to engage in business. How long are we going to spend there? We're going to spend a year. And what's going to be the outcome? We're going to make a profit. Now, isn't that a good plan? I mean, by itself, uh, isn't that, it's a plan. All right? So, is James here telling us that we shouldn't make plans, that we shouldn't plan for the future? You have to have a plan often to succeed, and this is not a bad plan, and the Lord may allow this plan to be fulfilled, but there's something missing in all of this all of these statements about what we will do. That's right. Okay, okay. And that's what we're going to talk about here. But you know, for a lot of people, Christians included, um, we think about the Lord on Sunday, and then the rest of the week, we kind of go off on our own. And so we have to be careful that we take into account what James is going to tell us here. Planning in the Bible is actually encouraged. Jesus said, which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down, calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him. If you're going to build a house, you probably ought to start with plans. Right, Paul? You ought to have somebody that can draw you some plans. And what are the plans for? The plans are kind of a, uh, this is how we want to end up at the end of however long it takes to build this house. So planning is not bad. It's, it's encouraged. Here's, here's some of the Proverbs. Um, well, I'm reading a couple of these. Turn to Proverbs 16, because there's three in that particular chapter. So the book of Proverbs says, Prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. Proverbs 15:22. Without consulting others, plans are frustrated, but they succeed with many counselors. Proverbs 21:5. The plans of the diligent lead to advantage. But everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. And so the book of Proverbs uh, is very clear 
that planning is actually a good thing, a wise thing, because Proverbs is all about living wisely. And if you build a house without plans, um, and if you build a house without counting the cost, as am I going to have enough to finish this house? Um, you could end up with a half-built house, and then it says everybody's going to ridicule you. Proverbs 16.1, however, adds another element to planning. <coughs> Proverbs 16.1, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 16.3, Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Proverbs 16.9, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So what are the, the verses in Proverbs 16 add to this whole idea of planning? You better include the Lord in it. That's exactly right. The reason is stated for us in verse 14. All right? Verse 14 says this. Yet you do not know. And I'll just stop right there. You do not know. What does that tell us about mankind? Well, we don't know everything, do we? And especially, I'll finish the verse, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Or you, I'll say it a different way. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Your life's a vapor. It appears for a little while, and then it vanishes away. The book of Proverbs in chapter 27 says this, and it really addresses what James is talking about. It says, don't boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Now, is that true? You do not know what a day will bring forth? The correction to the arrogant who are boasting in verse 13 comes from those words, you do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. Much of our planning ahead is based on our belief that the future will play out in a certain way. Because we've seen it happen that way in the past. And so every day we make certain assumptions about tomorrow based on the experience of the past. So I can say, and I, I, I can say with a certain amount of certainty, tomorrow I will wake up, tomorrow I will get up, tomorrow I will make coffee. Um, see, after that it's all a kind of a blur. Uh, this is how we live our lives it's not wrong to assume such things but we have to remember that though tomorrow may be um, predictable tomorrow is not certain that's the difference okay those boasting in verse 13 are doing so with a great amount of certainty and that's what James is addressing 
James goes on to say in verse 14, you don't know what tomorrow may bring. In fact, how is your life described in verse 14? A vapor, a fog, smoke. And what characterizes in verse 14, what characterizes this vapor that is our life? It appears and then it quickly disappears. That's your life. It's a vapor. Psalm 39.5, the Lord says, Behold, you've made my days as a hand breath. My life is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Moses in Psalm 90 says, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone, and we fly away. Seventy or eighty years. I'm there. <laughs> soon it is gone, and we fly away. That's one of the songs that we hear quite often at uh, funeral services. One glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. That's where it comes from, Psalm 90. Psalm 144, man is a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. I'm going to make plans for the future, but the Lord wants us to remember our life is like a vapor. Death, it's inevitable, it's unavoidable, it's indiscriminate. In other words, it comes to, you know, rich and poor, young and old. It's mysterious because we know it's going to happen, but we don't know when. And while the Lord may allow us to delay death, it can't be prevented. And in making our plans for how our life is going to look in the future, we have to take into account and into consideration the brevity, the briefness of our life, if you will. The oldest person that I've ever met was 102. And The younger we are, the more we think that I really want to live a long life. The older we get, we're not so sure. <laughs> but come what may, the very character of man's life is described as a vapor, smoke, a breath. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And that needs to be at least acknowledged when we make our plans. Okay? That we not speak with such certainty because we're simply ignoring the Lord in our life and, and have that arrogant attitude that this is my dream and I'm going to follow it and I'm going to accomplish it. Now it's nice to plan that way, but 
you need to plan that way humbly. Let's look at an example in the book of Luke, chapter 12, where Jesus told a parable about a rich farmer in Luke chapter 12. Uh, it, it actually starts in verse 16. And uh, I know you've heard this one before. But this is just a good example of what James is reminding us of when we are planning our lives out. Luke 12, 16. Jesus told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. He began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I'll just stop right there and have us look for a moment at what the rich man says here. It's kind of characterized by the phrase, I will. This is what I will do. Tear down my barns, build larger ones. I will store all my goods in those larger barns. And then I'll say to myself, you have a full retirement account laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You have many goods laid up for many years to come. Now just in that statement, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. What is this rich farmer assuming by that statement? Many years to come. And so, in verse 20, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. Now who will... And then... In Psalm 4, him a fool. The fool is described in Psalm 14 as uh, it says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. This man was living his life totally oblivious to the reality of God in his life and God's control over his own physical life. And so he makes all these plans for the future. And God is not included in any of them. And then God says, Tonight, your soul is going to be required of you. All of us are familiar with people who have died unexpectedly. Who have died early in life. Some who have died at birth. Some who have been killed in accidents, just suddenly removed from the face of the earth. That is the nature of life. 
And whereas God may allow 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years of life, He is not obligated to. Our lives are in His hands. So, back in, in James 4, so he, he reminds the uh, boasters, if you will, of how brief life really is. And how our plans are basically built on the assumption that our life will at least continue or extend um, uh, for the years that we're planning for. In James 4, I'm going to go today or tomorrow, so even that is a guess. I'm going to go, I'm going to go to a certain city and I'm going to spend a year there. He's assuming he'll be alive in, in a year. He's assuming all of it. And so James 4.15, the Lord says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So 4.15 tells us it's not wrong to make we will statements. We will do this, we will do that, we will do that, we will do this down the road, uh, we will plan ahead for our future. Nothing wrong with that. But 4.15 says, we must acknowledge that our plans are always subservient to what the Lord wills for us. Let's face it, a lot of times our plans don't work out. And like I've shared with you before, much to the chagrin of my own grandchildren, I'm trying to get them to understand that life is full of disappointments. And you need to learn to be disappointed. Because you will be. And you need to know how to move on beyond that. It's the way life is. Plans don't always work out exactly the way we anticipated. Generally, for people that are working in a career, for instance, I'm going to work until I'm 55, then I'm going to retire. And when I retire, my wife and I are going to travel all over the world and uh, we're going to have enough uh, money to sustain us until we're dead at uh, 95. And if you do a retirement calculator, you know, this is how much you put away in retirement and they tell you this is how long it'll last, but they don't take into account the contingencies, the the, the things that come into your life that you are not prepared for. If the Lord wills, we will live. That all by itself, the very fact that we live another day is because the Lord has willed it to be so. And if the Lord wills, He will bless our plans. If the Lord wills. And so in our planning, we don't want to be arrogant and boasting of this is what I'm going to do. Instead, we need to be humble and submissive to if the Lord wills, this is the plan I want to do. And... As James talks about this, it reminded me of uh, if the Lord 
wills. All right? I want the Lord's will to be what my plans are. The Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In 1 Peter, the Lord says through Peter, it's better if it is God's will that you suffer for the sake of righteousness. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember his prayer? Father, let this cup pass from me. If possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So what James 4.16 makes clear is that we're not speaking against planning ahead or looking into the future, but rather the arrogance that leads some to boasting about the certainty of what they're going to do in the future. And it says that their boasting is evil. God can bless our plans or he can thwart our plans. And sometimes he does it just to remind us that he's in control. A few years ago, there was a book titled, it was published, it was published by a pastor even. It was called The Christian Atheist. The premise of the book is that many times Christians live their lives like atheists without any thought of God when they make plans and live life. They live their lives during the week as if God does not exist, even though they know and believe that he does. But as far as having an active role in our lives, we live as if he's not there. And so we come together on Sunday and we, we think about the Lord and all the grace that's ours. And then when Monday comes, we just go right back to living like everybody else in the world does. Uh, without, And I hope it's not this way. It is in maybe at various times. And that's what James is talking about. I mean, for us, it's not just about arrogance. It's also about living our lives independent of the Lord in our life. So that when we make plans, we want to get God's counsel for those plans. That we at least acknowledge that I want, you know, I want the Lord's will to be done. This is what I'm planning. But I want the Lord to confirm that or to affirm it in one way or another. This rich farmer lived a very successful life. He made plans to build more barns, which was a good idea. Everything appeared to be going his way. He had sufficient retirement funds to last him for many years into the future until God exposed him as a fool. This night, your soul will be required, and then whose shall these things belong to? The book of Ecclesiastes talks about a man who dies and he leaves his wealth. This isn't the biblical word that's used, but to his idiot son. 
who then immediately wastes it all on gambling and prostitutes. The point of the parable that Jesus spoke is so is the man who is not rich toward God. And it's actually a parable that's against greed. But again, the planning of the wise man, the planning of the foolish man, did not include the role of the Lord in his life. So, we don't want to stop planning ahead or looking to the future or making decisions. We have to do that. We should do that. But we have to make sure that we're acknowledging the Lord in those plans. The psalmist says this about the Lord. My times are in your hand. Moses said, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. It doesn't say teach us to number our years. It says teach us to number our days. Every day, every day, we want to acknowledge our need for the Lord in our life. James concludes in verse 17 with just a general kind of a proverb. To the one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. In this context here, he's speaking to those who are planning arrogantly apart from the role of the Lord in their life. And he's correcting them here. And now he's saying, you know what the right thing to do is. And if you don't do it, it's sin. But it's a general principle that would apply in a lot of areas. How many times do we know the right thing to do and we deliberately don't do it? It's sin. There's some sins that we actively commit. And then there's other sins that we do by not doing what it was the right thing to do. To him who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, it's sin. Their boasting in verse 16 is evil. Their presumption in verse 17 is sin. And so, I, I, I just want us to make sure that we check ourselves every day to make sure that we're not simply living by our own wisdom, leaning on our own understanding, making our plans about the future apart from submitting to the Lord's will. If the Lord's will, I will live and do this or that or whatever. So it's just, a, it's just a call for believers to be mindful of the Lord's presence in our lives, not just on Sunday, every day. I got this sh short saying. I, I usually don't do very good with poems and that kind of thing, so I borrowed this from somebody else. Life is short. Death is sure. Sin's the cause. Christ is the cure. And uh, just, just a reminder, our eternal future is fixed by the Lord. But our planning and our work down here, we always need to, whether you say it deliberately or not, at least believe it in your heart. If the Lord wills, this is the choice I'm going to make, or that's the choice I'm going to make. Amen? Father God, we... Uh, Father, the Holy Spirit that you have placed in the life of each one of us 
is a constant presence and a daily guide for our lives. And your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Father, would you remind us not to neglect, not to neglect our fellowship with you in the word and in prayer every day. And Father, you are a God. Your word says that you are a God who sits on your throne in heaven. You do according to your will. Among those who are in heaven, as well as among those who are on the earth. Father, may we be like Jesus and always submit our plans to your will. Not my will, but yours be done. Let us seek that. Let us ask you to reveal it. And then let us submit to it. In Jesus' name, amen.